The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And, Nick, it was an exciting weekend. I had heart palpitations, I can tell you, uh, no doubt. Um, the Big 12 looks like a giant mess, but uh, we had our first fantasy weekend as well. Uh, but uh, how, how did you like this weekend? It was uh, it was a fun one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was great to get uh, the SEC back on the field and and uh, had, of course, the, the huge upset of the week start the day off with Kansas State coming back, beating Oklahoma. Uh, Mississippi State knocking off the defending national champions at LSU and and uh, otherwise just you know pretty pretty packed at least compared to what we're we're used to and and then uh, some great games in addition so it, it was certainly a, a fun weekend uh, loved you know sitting down getting uh, a, a little bit more offered and and you know as you mentioned uh cff now going and and so it's it's all kind of coming together it's starting to get more and more uh normal feeling which which is great so uh, exciting weekend for sure i did like the uh georgia tech fans during the first pandemic versus the georgia tech fans versus this pandemic that was a pretty funny picture because you see all these guys like they're actually socially distanced during the Spanish flu and stuff in their mask. And then you see some drunk dude passed out in the bleachers in his mask <laughs> with his shorts riding up a little too high. But uh, Xavier, um, how was the weekend for you? It was uh, fun to see the SEC uh, play and everything, but uh, my heart almost stopped. <laughs> well, my heart was stopped for a first half. Uh, other than that, uh, it was fun. I, I love college football. I love the SEC. I love trolling other fans. And this is <laughs> this is a perfect weekend to do so. If you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen two pictures, both of them of upsets, both of them with crying, laughing emojis attached to them. So, hey, you know, this is what I love to do. This is this is this was a good weekend. I'm glad that I didn't have to be in one of those because I'm sure I would have been tagged if Texas had lost to Texas Tech. But I got to say that before that game happened, I said to Nick, uh, I'm not counting anything for sure because <laughs> Texas loves to drop a weird game and Texas Tech is a team that loves to beat them. Yeah. And that was, I mean, they had the same odds as the uh, Patriots did to come back and win uh, what was that Super Bowl 50 against the Thanks. Falcons? Thanks. So, yeah, Thanks. well, I mean, I'm not trying to point. I, I'm just I'm just I'm not saying I'm just saying, you know, like uh, 
it was just as big a miracle for uh, the Longhorns to come back in that one. Uh, and it's all, I mean, that's Dicker the kicker, man, making that onside kick. It was a lot of fun, but there are a ton of games to go over. So let's just start here uh, with the big, big upset of the week where Kansas State goes into Norman and beats Oklahoma 38-35, Nick. Uh, a pretty wild one and a terrible, awful look for the Big 12. Yeah, absolutely, and, and a, a bad look for Oklahoma. I mean, this is a game that they should have won, could have won, were in basically complete control of and, and let it slip away. And, and, you know, Oklahoma looked great early, took a 21-7 lead into the locker room at halftime, came out, made it 28-7 to uh, early in the third. And, and at that point, it should have been over. But And also at that point, the Oklahoma defense basically – uh, you know, couldn't cover anybody anymore. And, and Kansas State uh, did a, a great job of fighting back, not giving up, uh, getting, you know, they, uh, Kansas State, as we know, doesn't have the, the most exciting group of playmakers, but they've, they've found some guys, especially, you know, true freshman running backs, Deuce Vaughn being the, the name that, that we know now, but they're getting those guys involved in a variety of ways, including in the passing game. Skylar Thompson looked good. Uh, the the defense stepped up in the second half, a, an undermanned defense that was missing, uh, what, five guys that normally would, would play in the secondary. So absolutely huge win. Chris Kleiman and, and that staff, uh, coach really, you know, they, Kansas State is very, very well coached. They have been for a long time. And the new staff that came in last year, I think, is – in some ways, possibly an improvement. So uh, a great job for them to win a game that they should not have won. But for Oklahoma, you know, it's you mentioned Texas likes to lose a game that they shouldn't. Oklahoma <laughs> does this, uh, yeah. you know, pretty regularly in the last couple of years. It's It's been Kansas State. So uh, a, a bit of a shock. And, and, you know, they made some mistakes. But this is a game that they should have – really, they should have blown out. Kansas State and and for it to you know let them hang around and, and then a couple of picks a couple of you know special teams mistakes it, it just ended up uh, all falling apart at the end but great win for Kansas State yeah I mean I I don't know what the time of possession was here it's not listed on my app but Oklahoma, 32 basically 32 28 Oklahoma. okay so that's that's fairly close but uh, this is a crazy stat here 28 first downs for Oklahoma to 10 for Kansas state. But the biggest and most important uh, one here, Xavier is four turnovers, uh, five turnovers, excuse me. No, 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 four turnovers for Oklahoma to zero for Kansas uh -huh. state. That's the uh -huh. difference maker. And that that'll kill you. And that's exactly what did it to Oklahoma in this game. Yeah. And I don't know who's drinking the wrong Kool-Aid, but why are we having freshman quarterbacks throw more than 40, 35 times a game? You don't do it. Stop. Stop it. Uh, and But Oklahoma showed its weaknesses in this ballgame, their inability to continuously run the football down the stretch and keep the ball out of Kansas State's hands in that second half when they started rolling. Um, obviously, when you give the ball to a freshman and tell him to throw that many times, you're going to get mistakes. And Spencer Rattler definitely looks shaky at times. Uh, but kudos to Kansas State. Back to back years now, they have been able to find different ways to beat Oklahoma. Last year, they hopped out to a massive lead and held on for dear life. This year, they, you know, 
were down 28-7 and ran and, and rolled it back. And this year they did it on the road, so it was even that much more impressive. Uh, so shout out to Skylar Thompson, who in both games, in last year's game and this year's game, combined for eight touchdowns alone on the ground and through the air. Uh, you know, I don't know if Kansas State has their number. Maybe next year I'm going to put a little money on the side for this game because uh, <laughs> Oklahoma seems to not know how to figure out Kansas State for all four quarters yet. Yeah, the next game on the list here was Florida versus Ole Miss, and Florida wins 51-35. to 35. I mean, Ole Miss looked great on offense, but as good as they looked on offense, they looked just as miserable on defense in this one, right, Nick? Yeah, I mean, uh, Florida, uh, Kyle Trask had a, a, a huge game, obviously. Kyle Pitts, uh, the, who I think is the, the best tight end in college football, and he certainly played like that this week. And, and you know, we finally got to see a little bit of uh, what a healthy Kandarius Tony can do. So Florida is going to be a dangerous team offensively. Uh, Ole Miss is, is not very strong defensively so so we do have to keep that in mind and, and we also you know on the, on the flip side Florida we expect to have a strong defense but Ole Miss you know where their strength certainly is on the offensive side of the football so this game I think might have been a, a, a tiny bit misleading on potentially on, on both sides of the football it's never as good as it seems it's never as bad as it seems and, and so while the Florida offense looks spectacular Kyle Trask had a, an absolutely huge day you know, there are certainly some things that they're going to have to work on to beat the the, the top tier defenses looking forward. But, you know, the, the defense as well. Yeah, they got burned a, a few times. Matt Corral looked really, really good for Ole Miss. But uh, Florida's, you know, they're, they're going to be a team that's I think is going to play better defensively moving forward. I mean, in this game, the way the numbers shook out, they actually posted our uh, worst defensive team performance rating of, uh, you know, right now they're, they're the worst team in the country out of the 72 that we have numbers for worse than know, Texas for, for the season. Yeah. Well, Texas had a, a good game against UTEP. They got, they got uh, <laughs> folded in there, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, Florida is going to be better than that moving forward. And, and uh, I think that they uh, have, have shown that they're going to be, you know, they, they have the capability of taking a step forward offensively. I know there were a lot of folks that were pretty high on Kyle Trask. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that he's, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in in the SEC, you know, the country for sure. I'm still not convinced, but uh, he's got some weapons and, and they make him look really good. And, and if he's got some time uh, to make things happen, Florida's going to be dangerous. They're, they're going to give, uh, the rest of the SEC some trouble. They, they're a legitimate uh, division contender, a, a legitimate SEC title contender. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this Florida Ole Miss game? A uh, lot of points. This looks like a Pac-12 game more than an SEC mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, first off, I'll give my uh, Matt Corral shut me up. He played really well. <laughs> I know I haven't been the biggest Matt Corral fan on this podcast, but he really played well um, when he had time in the pocket. He was able to find open receivers. Uh, Lane Kiffin's offense looks like it's going to fit perfectly here at Ole Miss. At the same time, Lane Kiffin's defense also looks like it's going to fit perfectly here at Ole Miss. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, from a Florida perspective, they looked really good. Uh, Kyle Trask looked like a top 
five quarterback, top three quarterback in the SEC. Um, I'm not ready to put him in that top five, top three in the country just yet. Uh, but if he continues to play at this high level, I, I will have no choice but to put him that high. Uh, we look at the only, you know, outside of the defense and most importantly, the secondary getting beat on so many deep plays. Um, the only other thing I would say is that Florida still hasn't necessarily found a formula of running the football consistently. Um, when they're able to do that, then I will be ready to say that I think they can absolutely win the SEC until they can show me that they can run the football. And especially on an Ole Miss defense that's not the greatest, I still have my reservations. Now, another SEC matchup that turned out not like we ex expected it to at all was Mississippi State at, at LSU and Mississippi State upsetting LSU 44-34. to 34. KJ Costello only had 623 passing yards, five touchdowns, two picks. I know Derek Stingley was out for LSU in this game. Uh, I am almost ashamed to say that I had uh, a couple of reservations about potentially starting <laughs> KJ Costello in his first game under Mike Leach against uh, the na the national champs coming in here. And he set an SEC record for passing yards in a single game, Nick. I just don't. I mean, we expected this one to be maybe high, more high scoring than your typical SEC game, but I didn't see 78 points going up and Mississippi State taking an outright win against the Tigers. Yeah, I, I certainly, you know, I don't think any of us called for an outright upset necessarily. I don't, maybe, maybe Xavier is kind of whispering around the edges of, of that and, and pretty early in the game said uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, texting the, the, the three of us back and forth that, uh, that LSU was in trouble. So, you know, this is what we expected Mississippi State could be. I'm not sure that uh, people thought we would see it in the season opener and, and certainly not against LSU. Obviously, Derek Singley was missed, but uh, LSU still, you know, has more talent uh, on defense than Mississippi State, you know, pretty much does uh, across the board. So uh, Costello looked great. I, I did think early on, you know, similar to, to Trask in some ways, it, it was an eye-popping statistical performance, but it wasn't necessarily perfect. I, I thought that there were some throws earlier in the game uh, where things were, were maybe moving a little too quickly for him. He was, he was throwing, or excuse me, he was, he was holding onto the ball a little too long. The LSU pass rush actually had a, a really good game overall. Uh, but he settled in, calmed down, and, and put up just absolutely huge numbers. Uh, Mississippi State is, is probably not going to throw for 600 yards every game, but uh, <laughs> they, they have proved, you know, they, they could certainly push 400. Uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. And, and you know, uh, for LSU, I think we all probably expected a, a little bit of a step back. But, you know, it's it's the season, I would say, is not over. We, we, we knew that there would be some growing pains, but I think there were also uh, some positive signs. I mean, Miles Brennan statistically had a, a pretty good game and, you know, did toss a couple of uh, interceptions, but one of those was on the last play of the game when when it was over, down by ten, and and just threw it up in the end zone. Uh, he he also early on uh, things were not quite uh, you know smooth. He, he looked a little rusty, looked like somebody that hadn't started a, a whole lot. 
from an accuracy standpoint, certainly we're going to see a little bit of a uh, step back compared to what we saw last year with, with Joe Burrow. I saw a note uh, that, uh, you know, last year LSU had one game where they completed under 68% of their passes and, and Miles Brennan uh, was at 58% uh, <laughs> this game. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of growing pains for sure, but similarly, uh, you know, I think in the long run, LSU is is probably going to be fine. The pass rush look good. The secondary will be better with Stingley. And as these guys get more experience, uh, you know, offensively, I'm a little concerned they couldn't run the football uh, against yeah. Mississippi State. I did not expect Mississippi State to really put up much of a fight uh, defensively, you know, at the line of scrimmage. Um, but, you know, Terrace Marshall's one of the best receivers in the country. They've got depth there. I think Brennan's going to be fine. It, it's a, a tough way to start for sure. And, and uh, you never, you know, 16 point uh, favorite or, or whatever it was uh, when it closed, uh, you know, not how you want to start a season uh, defending a national championship and, and on your home turf, but uh, you know, everything's still to play for. I think for LSU, I, I don't think we have to completely write them off. I think they're still going to give top tier teams, you know, some, some, uh, difficult matchups, uh, week in and week out from here on, uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this game. I'm sure you did not go trolling any LSU Tigers fans at all this weekend, right? What do you mean? I mean my dad is an LSU fan. He, <laughs> he didn't want to see me when he came home. Oh, it was a blast. Um, but I will say from Mississippi state, I am really excited about this ball club. I think KJ Costello will be, a Heisman dark horse. Let me make sure I'm saying that correctly right now. Uh, this is a guy who, I mean, they play Arkansas next game. To, so to say he can't throw for another 600 yards would be blasphemous of me saying that. I think he absolutely can. When it comes to the defense, that was really what I like to see. They had seven sacks on the day, and they really made Miles Brennan uncomfortable in that pocket all day long, which forced the two interceptions. And also, like you said, Nick, they could not run the football against that front seven. That Mississippi State has always had, you know, one or two really good defensive linemen. They just have never really had an entire defense to go with them and an offense that can score with some of the bigger teams of the conference. I think this year Mississippi State has the makings to be that and can definitely compete. Uh, like I said, the next game is Arkansas. We'll really get a nice barometer uh, in week five when they play Alabama, obviously. Uh, but right now, Mississippi State, I'm drinking that Kool-Aid. I like them. Uh, from an LSU standpoint, I really am concerned about the fact that they could not run the football. Um, that's not something LSU normally can't do. LSU always can run the football. They just can't get it through the air. Maybe they're going through a bit of an identity crisis right now. Uh, we'll have to see and watch what happens uh, in, in the weeks to come. Yeah, and and maybe it's just, you know, uh, Mississippi State's run defense is real good. That, that could be yeah. within the realm of possibility as well. Uh, another SEC matchup here. I don't know that this was really that surprising, Nick, but we did get to take a look at uh, Auburn uh, over Kentucky, twenty-nine to thirteen in this game. What do you see out of that one? Yeah, I mean, talk about a team that struggled to run the football. Really, there were were two teams in this in this game that that struggled to run the football. Uh, we certainly expect more than three yards per carry out of Auburn. We expect you know, somebody other than the quarterback to be the leading rusher and, and for that person to have more than 35 yards. And, and you know, for Kentucky, uh, they 
weren't much better. 145 yards on the ground, 3.6 per carry. Uh, kind of, you know, put it, uh, unfortunately fell behind a little bit and, and decided to put the the game on the arm of, of Terry Wilson, which, uh, you know, no, no disrespect intended to him, but th- that's not necessarily a, a recipe for success in my opinion. So uh, it was, it, it, you know, Kentucky, I, I wrote a little bit about them last week on, on Thursday and, and talked about how they're in that mix. They were the next team. Uh, we talked about it last week that, that sort of, I, I didn't quite feel comfortable with how our numbers projected Kentucky this season in part because they remind me a little bit like uh, an army or a Navy who's, who's difficult. They seem to play a little bit higher than the talent level, or at least the talent level compared to their opponents. And, you know, Georgia tech, who was a team that was on my mind early in the season after they beat Florida state. Now maybe Georgia tech is not as good as we thought they could potentially be after uh, losing to Syracuse. But uh, you know, it, it was good for, for me personally to see, okay, you know, maybe we're on to something with Kentucky. Yes, this game could have been could have played out differently at, at the you know right before uh, halftime. There was a controversial uh, non touchdown call that you know led into an interception that had its own non you know controversial uh, call there. So uh, it, it was a, it was a bit wild. We maybe got a little bit lucky, but I, I think also you know maybe maybe we're on to something, Kentucky. There are a lot of really smart people who are high on Kentucky, and, and they are going to be a team that will jump up, I imagine, and, and knock somebody off, beat somebody they're probably not supposed to. But it was good to see Auburn as the more talented team, you know, top to bottom, uh, come out and, and be able to put this game away. Uh, the offense obviously has some work to do running the football. I think is going to be something that they're going to uh, want to improve on, obviously. But saw some good things from Bo Nix, saw some great things from Seth Williams, uh, the Chad Morris era uh, there of the Auburn offense off to a, a you know, pretty decent start, at least as uh, far as the passing game goes. So a uh, good win. Kentucky is a tough out every week. So to, to be able to get this win uh, is a great start to the season for Auburn and, and setting up a, a huge game this week with Georgia. Maybe, uh, Xavier, it's because I do too many shows with Nick. We're up to three shows a week now. <laughs> uh, but I feel like everything he said was just condescending to, to Kentucky, even though it was what very was it nice. Meant to be? He, 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 ju- he just said... He, he just said they're a tough out every week. So maybe I'm just hearing wrong, but, but I feel that Nick is a complete Kentucky hater. Uh, even though he was just nice to them. I know that our numbers don't like Kentucky. I yeah. respect them right now. I think the numbers might, might be right. I don't know. <laughs> well, the, the, the vibe here, Xavier is that Nick is, is a Kentucky hater. Look, oh, yeah. th- they're in this game. They, the difference to me was Kentucky had more yards. Uh, they converted on third down, uh, you know, better 12 of 20 for them. So four of 10 for Auburn, but also Auburn wasn't getting in third down situations, uh, as much as Kentucky. So you can take that, but they both had two fumbles. Kentucky happened to lose theirs and Auburn didn't. So I think that was kind of the difference in this game, even though it was a 16-point win and everything. Uh, but I just can't – I think it's because I like Terry Wilson and I don't think Nick likes Terry Wilson that much. Uh, I, I think that's why I, I, I get I get that vibe. So, I'm sure he's uh, a nice guy. 
He doesn't like him at all. Yeah, he doesn't like him as a quarterback whatsoever. Yeah, no. I'm sure he's a nice guy. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite. I have nothing but, against him personally. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> nothing, and and that should be stated for just every time we're ripping on a guy because he's playing, but because of his play. I'm sure he's a great person. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I'm sure he is. Uh, he can't do his job that he's supposed to do. No, he's God. A good guy. You know, I didn't say uh, that either. The number said it. The number said it. But, Xavier, what were your thoughts on this game? Because, uh, look, you know, Kentucky came in ranked, so they're a good team, but Auburn is just better. I genuinely thought this game flipped at halftime. If Kentucky scores like they should have when he crosses the plane, I, I – I was, uh, he, I almost threw my remote at the television. He crossed the plane. It was a touchdown. It should have been fourteen to eight going into halftime. That was just it. That's supposed to happen. At that point, Kentucky gets the ball to start the second half. Auburn's down a score. Who knows what that second half looks like without Terry Wilson having to throw the ball to the twenty-five times to keep them in the game at a game that they weren't in. Um, from an Auburn perspective, I, was, well, I will say Bo Nix looked much better. Now, granted, Kentucky's defense isn't a world beater. They barely got to the quarterback one sack on the day. He had a lot of time in the pocket to find Seth Williams. I think he still struggles finding intermediate routes, and we saw that trying to find Swartz multiple times. Uh, but I think that him and Seth Williams have a, have a, a chemistry that is going to bode well for them throughout the year. Like Nick said, we'll see a lot more against a much better defense this week in Georgia, uh, especially – their inability to run the football with uh, Booby Whitlow leaving in the offseason. I said that that should be a concern, and it looked like it on Saturday. Uh, but, Nick, to your point, Kentucky is a okay team. They're not a good team. They're not a great team. Will they sneak up on somebody? Possibly. I'm actually circling that Mississippi State game in about two weeks to really give an idea of what we have in Kentucky. Uh, but yeah, good win for Auburn at home. And one of the weirdest social distancing things I ever saw to spread out their fans the way that they did to try to make it look okay on television. It didn't work. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean the, uh, you know, the, the, the stadium stuff has been weird because you see, uh, people are supposed to be socially distant, but they're not really wearing their masks in, nope. in the, the stands as much. And they're all clumped together, especially the student section, which mm -hmm. you would expect, you know, but it looks like it always looks like the end of the sun bowl in every single stadium. I feel like this year, it looks like the sun bowl is a blowout. And everyone's leaving. Like that's what it looks like every single time I look at the crowd. They're never gonna let Scott in that bowl game. Hey, if I have seven dollars, I can get into the Sun Bowl. So, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I have seven dollars. Just looks like a most UTEP game at the Sun Bowl, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a regular UTEP game. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, this game, guys, uh, was unbelievable. Texas beats Texas Tech. 63 to 56. We all had the over 100 in this game, right? Yeah, yeah. You and Alan Bowman, Xavier. Uh, you, you do that, do that at, at your own cost, buddy. So I was uh I was ready to pack in my college football watching and sleep in every Saturday with about three minutes, 13 seconds left in this game. So Roderick Thompson uh breaks a tackle, runs for a 75-yard touchdown on a screen pass, and uh I was not happy. I was very, very not happy. There was three minutes and 13 seconds left, so Texas gets the ball back. Ellinger throws a touchdown. It was so fast. Uh, there was a big penalty uh, and then uh, a couple big passes. 
but he throws a touchdown to Brennan Eagles and then throws it back to him for a two-point conversion, which they had to have being down 15. And Eagles double-clutched it and then caught it. And then it's like, okay, well, now we got to get the onside or else it's really, really over. And uh, Cameron Dicker, to his credit, bounces a, a kick off of a Texas Tech kid's hands. Longhorns recover it, go down, score the touchdown, get the extra point with 40 seconds left in the game, go into overtime, score a touchdown to start, uh, stop Texas Tech and win the game. And it was super intense. Uh, I, I do love that Texas and LSU were arguing over who is DBU at this time last year, right before they play each other. And in this one, Alan Bowman throws for 325 yards and, uh, LSU lets up 623 to, uh, KJ Costello. So there is no DBU between Texas and LSU. I can tell you that right now, but, um, I mean, this was almost another embarrassment because the Big 12 had the upset early with Kansas State. It looked like this one was going to happen too. Texas salvaged it, but uh, you know they're going to move down in the rankings because they did not look good in this game. The defense looks pitiful, Nick. Yeah, I mean, it it's, uh, was not ideal for sure if, if you're Texas, but uh, you won. Oklahoma didn't. So that's that's something. But uh, I, I do have a question. And you mentioned Sir Roderick Thompson, uh, you know, breaking a tackle, running for a touchdown. Uh, would we, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still I've, I've got my my access. I, I, I think that it's good, uh, good value PFF out there, the advanced stats, premium stats that they've got. I've got uh, some some notes on a bunch of different things. And so I'm still a little new to it, still learning exactly how to contextualize things. But are, is is 19 missed tackles bad? Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, and that sounds like Texas. So uh, they, they were they were trying to uh, is uh, the safeties in particular uh, on, on some plays were trying to blow a guy up instead of wrap him up. And um, I mean, I don't know that I've seen worse tackling. Uh, from Texas, maybe, you know, last year was rough. They couldn't tackle anyone. And that has not changed even with a coordinator change. But I feel like, and I'm not giving them a pass at all, but I'll give them more of a pass this year when you have limited practice time, limited ramp up time and all that stuff. But we're, this is the third game. You should be tackling these guys. You know, uh, th this is a pathetic, uh, a absolutely pathetic effort at tackling. And the only tackling i've seen worse this year it was green bay trying to tackle alvin camaro on monday night football if you guys saw that that was pathetic that was and those are pros so uh that was disgusting to me to watch but uh yeah it was bad again 19 missed tackles is ridiculous and how many of those were uh how many of those were uh Keyshawn carter and how many of those were tj vasher i bet 11 of them were probably off of tj vasher it's ridiculous so <laughs> Yeah, it was it was uh, a bit rough, but it found a way to win. And so all, you know, it, it, as far as uh, the one loss record goes, doesn't matter if you win 63-56 or 63 to nothing. Texas was true? able to, to get it figured out and, and, you know, made a stop when they needed to in overtime. And, and uh, hey, they're 2-0, they're 1-0 in the Big 12. And, and right now, you know, I mean, obviously in two weeks they play Oklahoma – there's a, a tiebreaker there, but nobody's going to get tackled in that game. <laughs> they've got a, a game in hand 
on the Sooners, you know, as far as the the race to uh, get to the Big 12 title game. So uh, it was it was not the prettiest win, but a, a win is a win, and and uh, survive survive in advance, I guess. That's in, right. In the Big 12. Stay stay undefeated, and uh, <laughs> at this point, undefeated might be good enough to you know see what happens at the end of the year. I'll probably lose this week, Xavier. Uh, <laughs> your 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 thoughts on this game? I mean, I tell you, the one thing we did have was uh, there's uh, my buddy Keith is uh, he's in the ITL Army and uh, he, he was uh, he's an Oklahoma fan. And he said, "Oh yeah, uh, Texas is the best. They're so good." And I'm like, "Hey, you know what? Wins are better than losses." So uh, that that's that, and that's all I had to say. He's like, "You're right. You're in a better spot than I am right now." So, Xavier, your thoughts on this uh, Texas versus Texas Tech game? I think I'm just going to mute and take a break while while you break this down here. So, probably be better for my blood pressure, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because Nick <laughs> Nick is being nice. Uh, this was an awful performance from Texas on the defensive side of football. To give you an idea, Texas Tech played one other game this year against Houston Baptist. How many points did they score in that game? Thirty-five. How many points did they score against your Texas Longhorns? Fifty-six. Yeah, Houston Baptist. Don't even know. If they're actually in Houston, they might just call themselves Houston Baptist. Who knows? I have to say, this was an FCS program that was able to hold Texas Tech to less points than you guys were able to. That's not good. I know Nick saying, yeah, a win's a win. But you got to take from the win what it is. Your defense played awful. They were terrible. It was garbage on all senses of the word. However, yeah. offensively, you guys look really good this year. You put up 59 points to start off the year, obviously 63 on Saturday. Sam Ellinger looks like he's cooking with grease. And right now, he's got to be the only bright spot for this team, obviously the, the skill positions as well. But he's keeping you guys in these ballgames. He's doing what he's supposed to do from a quarterback situation. Yes, he, had, he threw a pick in the game as well. And, yes, the offense clearly sputtered at time to be down uh, the way that they were. I am waiting for this to end and to see which one breaks first, the offense or the defense. Uh, but as of right now, you're up top the Big 12, uh, right up there with my other teams in Kansas State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I really think that Texas is a team that will figure it out defensively, hopefully. And at this point, like Nick said, you guys do have a game on hand uh, against Oklahoma. And uh, we'll have to see what happens this week when you guys play TCU because that's another game that I genuinely think, like this past week against Texas Tech, it's a game that you guys could easily win by 30 or lose by 15. So kudos for you guys for the win, but we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, TCU's tough, and they beat us last year. So exactly. uh, it's going to be an interesting one this week. Uh, another game here, uh, Pitt beats Louisville 23-20. Um, the score, uh, it was close. There was no fourth quarter, or fourth quarter scoring in this game, but Malik Cunningham, 107 Passing yards, one touchdowns, three picks. Mikhail Cunningham, Malik Cunningham. Uh, I, I can't, I can never get his name right. But uh, he got banged up, uh, looked bad, but it wasn't as bad as it looked, which was nice. But Pitt doing it with defense, Nick. This this is a good Pitt team. Uh, Louisville's okay, but Pitt is good. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that we can we can say with certainty that Pitt is Pitt is it defensively. I mean, they, they are uh, one of the best defenses in the country. They actually rank second in, in our team performance 
metrics as, as far as defenses go. Still a little ways to go overall because they're 46th out of 72 on, on offense. So Louisville, very explosive offensively. You mentioned Cunningham, looked great the first couple of weeks for the most part. And, and Pitt, you know, had him under basically constant pressure. Uh, they had 14 hurries, hit him five times, had nine sacks in this game. So, uh, you know, Pitt was was just relentless defensively. They have been all year. They lead the country in sacks. They, they get after uh, opposing quarterbacks uh, just relentlessly. And, and you know, Javian Hawkins had semi-decent numbers, but Tutu Atwell couldn't get going. Uh, Cunningham, of course, couldn't get going. And, and Pitt was able to do enough. Uh, offensively against what's been, you know, not a very good uh, Louisville defense, but, uh, you know, they, they were able to, to move the ball enough, uh, mostly through the air. They're still, you know, trying to figure it out a little bit on the ground, 150 yards, but fewer than four yards a carry. That's probably not going to get it done if, if you're hoping to uh, contend for an ACC title, but uh, this defense can compete with just about anybody. So a uh, good win for Pitt to get to, to three and O beat another ranked team. And uh, you know, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be difficult. They, they've got uh, probably what should be two wins coming up NC state this week and Boston college on the road after that. And then things get interesting. Miami midseason, Notre Dame after that Clemson at the end. Uh, I'm interested to see how this defense holds up throughout the year, because right now they look like one of the best units in the country. Xavier, your thoughts on this? I mean, uh, Louisville converted one uh, of 11 third downs in this game. Uh, Yeah, one for 11 on third down, uh, nine of 19, but it still was fairly close in in the score, 23-20. Yeah, I mean, when Malik Cunningham has only nine uh, completed passes out of the 21 he threw, and three picks to go along with that. That is a, a ridiculous defense. Uh, Nick hit, alluded to Javion Hawkins' performance. He had a 75-yard touchdown, and that was it. Uh, really, he had 78 yards total, and that was on 13 carries. Uh, so they did a really, really, really good job of, of slowing down all of the talent for that team. Um, from an offensive perspective, this is what you get from Pitt, though. You expect Kenny Pickett to be solid. He's going to be a game manager. He's not going to lose you a ball game. But your biggest worry about Kenny Pickett is can he win you a ball game? Uh, you know, 23 of 28, 200 plus yards and two touchdowns and an interception is pretty much what you're going to get out of Kenny Pickett week in and week out. And I think the defense knows that as well. Uh, and, and I think that that's a, a positive in most games. Like Nick said, I am really excited to see what happens in three weeks when they play Miami because I want to see it's going to be pretty much best against best. Best defense in the ACC versus probably one of the best offenses in the ACC as well. Um I think Pitt is a team that can possibly run the table. Personally, right now, they've looked more impressive defensively than Notre Dame has. They've looked more impressive to me defensively than Miami has at this point. And I I think that if Kenny Pickett can take that next step in the next couple of games, maybe he gathers some confidence against NC State and Boston College. They're a team I can absolutely see beating a team like Miami, especially um, without the – the use of fans this year in a real home versus home environment. I think that defense is going to bode really well without fans being there as well. So I like Pitt from a Louisville's perspective. They got to go back to the drawing board and figure some things out because in back-to-back weeks, they have not been able to uh, put together enough offense to win games. Uh, and the defense has just not been able to hold up. So Pitt is a really sneaky team. I think a lot of people should keep an eye out for them. 
A couple other games from uh, week four. BYU stomped Troy 48-7. to BYU looks like a great football team right now. Don't know if they're going to play anyone uh, good enough to vault them yeah, into a potential playoff spot or anything, but they do look great right now. Uh, Texas A&M barely beat Vandy 17-12. Kind of a a surprising game. I expect A&M to be better. Uh, Miami stomped Florida State 52-10. This is just like two two teams going in opposite directions. Miami looks great. Florida State looks uh, awful right now. Uh, Alabama beat Missouri, but not even close to covering the spread 38 to 19 in this game. Uh, Mac Jones starting there. Um, it, it took a while for Georgia to get going against Arkansas, but when they did, they did put the boots uh, to the Razorbacks 37 to 10 in that game. Uh, we thought UTEP was the worst team in college <laughs> football coming in here, but ULM just lost them by 25, <laughs> 31 to 6. So, ULM not looking great. Uh, Iowa State did hang on to beat TCU uh, 37-34. to uh, Oklahoma State with a backup quarterback beats West Virginia 27-13. to UCF continues to roll 51-28 to over East Carolina. And uh, Louisiana Lafayette, uh, who's ranked right now, had to hold on to okay. beat Georgia Southern 20-18. to So... Uh, any other games that uh, you you guys wanted to go over before we move on to uh, week five, uh, Nick? Oh, just real quick. I mean, did you mention uh, Cincinnati got it done oh, against yeah. Army? It, mm-hmm. it looks mm-hmm. like uh, looked like Army, you know, was able to get a defensive touchdown early, and and but just couldn't couldn't get it going offensively. Uh, threw the ball twenty something times in, in that game. That is that is not a recipe. Nine for, for twenty one. 94 yards and a yeah. pick for Christian Anderson. Not, not what you want. Not, you know, the third, they went from dominating third down uh, in the first two games against obviously much, you know, inferior competition, much, much uh, less difficult uh, opposition than Cincinnati this week. But, you know, Cincinnati proved that, hey, somebody can, can figure out Army. So uh, that one was, was interesting. Cincinnati's going to be a team that's going to be in the mix in, in the American this year. Uh, but uh, some of these others, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to, I'm sure, uh, when we kind of go around the, the table and, and talk about this week's games. But a uh, little bit concerned from what I saw about Texas A&M. Uh, not necessarily concerned from what I saw from Alabama. I thought early they – controlled that game and and was uh you know we're in control florida state looks bad (laughs) and that was that was rough uh but uh overall i mean you know a lot of a lot of solid games to choose from a lot of i think we learned a lot Uh, you know we still have some things to figure out obviously but we're we're starting to get a little bit more of a feel and, and as far as you know these sec teams it's at least good to get that first impression and as we'll talk about with Texas A&M, I'm sure, uh, let's try not to, to worry too much or take things maybe too seriously because it is, even though we've been doing this for four weeks, it is the first time for, for uh, some of those teams. So we need to, uh, you know, there are some folks out there I feel like who know, oh, Texas A&M is obviously bad. Anyway, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll we, we can't, yeah, <laughs> look, we, we, we have to know they didn't have – practices this is their first game all that stuff what was your biggest takeaway from from week four here xavier well before i get into it i gotta get a little love to the only right team you didn't mention tennessee congratulations 
you were able to beat South Carolina on Saturday. You got the job done. Garantano didn't look awful. So credits to you guys or credits right. to South Carolina is a very scary team to play week one. Uh, you know, 31 to 27, a good victory to start off the year. Now, now that I'm done with that little bit, can we talk about how UCF might be the slowest starting team in college football right now? Uh, I don't I don't know what this whole thing about them playing in the first quarter is. They did the same thing against Tech. It was 10-7 at the end of the first quarter against Eastern Carolina. And then it's like they wake up or something. Like they all come in off of Benadryl and they just wake up in the second quarter and they play amazing football from there on out. Uh, the other takeaways I have to say, I think you're a little bit too uh, – you're, you're not harsh enough on Texas A&M only beating Vanderbilt by five. It's Vanderbilt. This is one of the worst we'll teams. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, am, not, I am not – if I'm a Texas A&M fan, I would, my finger would be laying firmly on the panic button right now um, after that performance. And, and a little bit of kudos, lastly, to Oklahoma State finding ways to win thus far this year. Obviously, Spencer Sanders looks like he might be back for the Kansas game. However, I wouldn't play him against Kansas because you probably could win that one without him too. Uh, but right now, Oklahoma State continues to win, continues to find ways to win, even with a with playing their third-string quarterback um, at this point. And, you know, and him obviously not having a great game. Chuba Hubbard, you know, broke 100 yards this week. They Two rushers broke 100 yards. Tylen Wallace is starting to look better and better week in and week out. And if that's the case, they're getting a lot of confidence without their starting quarterback. If they can continue to build on that and then add Spencer Sanders back in a couple of weeks, this is a scary team that I think can make a lot of noise in a Big 12 that is very shaky right now. They won't see Texas until week six, and they won't see Oklahoma until week eight. Uh, so I think that that's you know that gives them more than enough time to build up confidence as they play Kansas, Baylor, and Iowa State in the next three weeks. Uh, how how did the numbers look for CFB winning edge on week four, Nick? Uh, it was a it was a solid week. It was uh, we started really really strongly. It, it tailed off a little bit towards uh, the end of of the night, but uh, overall for uh, last week we were twenty three and four straight up. Uh, we were fourteen eleven and two against the spread. Our totals were sixteen and eleven. So uh, overall thirty twenty two and two for the week. Fifty seven percent. We'd love to maintain that all season. That that's uh, that's a, a pretty good number uh, for us and and for the season so far. We're uh, just barely over five hundred against the spread. Thirty twenty nine and two. Our totals have been hot. I mean, we're we're uh, hitting almost sixty one percent totals, which Ooh. has helped uh, put us at fifty five point nine percent for all games uh, this year, sides and totals. So feel feel pretty good about that. And then some of the ones. Uh, you know, if you stuck with us until the very end last week, talked about the games in which all three of our projections agree when our uh, our talent edge, uh, where it's only talent, no coaching, no uh, home field advantage, things like that. Uh, when those numbers line up with our stats only model and, and then when that those two also uh, when we do our official model that, that encapsulates everything, when all three numbers line up, uh, so far has been really, really hot. I mean, we were six, three, and one last week and, and uh, 16, seven, and one against the spread so far this year. So not sure we'll be able to maintain that, but uh, good, good start for sure. And, and uh, I'm a little bit nervous because we have 13 games that fit that criteria this week. So uh, could could definitely you know give us a, a huge lead could put us in the hole if, if things go really really badly so uh, hopefully 
hopefully, you know, we'll we'll continue to to see positive signs. But overall, strong week and, and feel pretty good about uh, the first four weeks. I mean, we're, we're basically uh, a quarter of the way through a normal season almost. So yeah. um, that's uh, that that feels pretty good to be at this this point. The first two years that uh, we were doing this, uh, the first quarter was was a bit of a struggle. We were we were kind of like UCF in the first quarter of Xavier. Uh, the the last couple of weeks, but but uh, we did finish like UCF most of the time, so we're we're excited about that. Hopefully, we'll we'll continue to to be strong from here on out. Yeah, there are uh, week five provides us with a lot of uh, interesting games here. So uh, let's get into the week five preview and let's go uh, with the youngest among us uh, among us to pick his uh, first two games first. Again, he hated it so much last week. It made me smile so much. Uh, Nick, do you want to start start with something different this time? No, 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 no. I was just saying let's let's do one at a time this time. Let's oh, okay, we're gonna do go one. We'll go around. And, okay, and yeah, that's 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 probably more fair. So we're still gonna make you start, Xavier. So yeah. pick uh, pick your first game here. Well, what are we uh, looking at first? You're tying my hands, but obviously, I think you guys know where I'm going. Uh, starting with Auburn and Georgia. Uh, I, I, this is a game for me that. Going into this week, and I saw the button. I, I love the button. Yes, um, <laughs> Nick is wearing a beat Auburn button, but he told me before we started because I also asked about it. I said, "Why are you wearing that?" He's like, "Just because we're on Georgia to to, to beat Auburn." He said, yeah. "At the bottom, I should put uh, by seven. So. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you take it any way you get it. Right, right. This is uh, the game, the barometer game for Auburn. This is the game where they're going to be playing easily the best defense that they'll probably face all year, outside of maybe in the last game versus Alabama. Uh, but I'm really, really excited to see what Bo Nix looks like in year two versus Georgia. Last year, he struggled for three and a half quarters. Obviously, he found his footing in quarter four. Uh, it made the game close down the stretch. Obviously, them only losing 21 to 14. I want to see if they can if he could take the next step and look a little bit better than he did last year against Georgia or, or this year against Georgia, excuse me. From an offensive standpoint, they really rely on Seth Williams. But if you know anything about Georgia, their secondary is where the stars are. You know, Richard LeCount, Eric Stokes, just to name a few. This that is their bread and butter as of right now. You know, Eric Stokes had a pick six in week one. They are really going to make sure that Seth Williams is not the person that beats him. So I'm looking at guys like Schwartz and, and company to get the job done from their perspective, and I want to see if they can do it. Also, coming off of the week against Kentucky, Auburn struggled to run the football a lot. And to beat Georgia, you have to be able to run the football. You can't do it any other way. Um, you have to have balance against a defense that good. And, I, and I'm really excited to see what Auburn can do against Georgia offensively. From a Georgia perspective, it's the complete opposite. Offensively, we stumbled, fell, tripped, fell on our heads out of the blocks against Arkansas. It was bad. It was a baseball score at halftime. Uh, but, you know, JT Daniels has been cleared this week. He looks like he's going to be the starter for this week, according to pretty much every Georgia publication out there. And I'm excited to see him in his first game in a Georgia uniform. They're probably going to rely a lot on Samir White early on to allow him to get his footing. But I expect to see him and George Pickens really meshing in, in quarters two, three, and four. Uh, kind of like what we saw from the mailman, Stetson Bennett, uh, Stetson Bennett excuse me, uh, in the Arkansas game. So it's going to be kind of both from uh, from both teams. I'm looking for Auburn's offense to do against Georgia, and I look for Georgia's offense to be better than it was against Arkansas. I almost hate that this game is so early, Nick. Uh, th this is uh... – 
you know, Georgia is kind of still figuring out that quarterback situation. Auburn didn't look spectacular last week. They looked good. Uh, Kentucky's a tougher matchup than, uh, you know, we probably consider them to be. But uh, this is a very, very interesting one. What, what are you thinking in this Georgia and Auburn game? Yeah, the, the timing of it is is certainly unfamiliar. Usually this is a mid-November game, uh, two weeks usually, if not the week before uh, Georgia Tech at, at the end of the year. But uh, even you know before everything went crazy in, in uh, 2020, this game, the, the schools or the league office, someone decided that, that this was going to be moved up a little bit, to space it out a little bit for Auburn, who, of course, finishes with, with Alabama at the end and, and I think wanted to give – uh, those two rivalry games, a little room to breathe maybe, but uh, it, it, the timing is certainly interesting, but, uh, you know, love to see it. Two top 10 teams uh, by basically anybody's <laughs> metrics uh, coming into to this year. And, and of course, including uh, the AP poll, but uh, quarterback of course is going to be the story for Georgia. Will JT Daniels start? Dwayne, uh, you know, Dwayne Mathis, I, I think showed, some exciting qualities in, in, in short spurts uh, with his first career start last week, but certainly, you know, struggled. Uh, Stetson Bennett was able to come in kind of save the day, but, you know, personally, I didn't really see uh, the, the type of quarterback that could challenge a Florida or an Alabama or an Auburn, uh, to be quite honest with you. So, uh, you know, it's great to have, somebody like Bennett who can come in and, and kind of calm things down, you know, when necessary and, and step in and, and play well enough to get things turned around a little bit uh, against Arkansas. But I think this week, and, and I think moving forward, uh, you're going to need somebody with a little bit higher ceiling. And, and to me, that's JT Daniels or Dewan Mathis, because, you know, we shouldn't just write off uh, a, a, the, a one rocky start for uh, a first-time redshirt freshman starter. But, uh, you know, this this is going to be a, a great matchup. Georgia has, uh, in my estimation, the best defense in the country. They're number two in our overall uh, defensive, uh, you know, strength ratings as far as talent goes. Uh, there's no weak spot on this defense. They're strong in the front seven. They're strong in the back seven. Uh, they're going to make life difficult. Auburn's going to, uh, if they can't run the football better uh, than they did last week against Kentucky, you know, I think Xavier made a, a great point that, that they're going to probably struggle to uh, put up enough points to, to win this game. It, it should be a fairly low scoring game. Our, uh, over under is is in the 40s, which uh, of course the the official line is as well. But uh, we're you know strong enough, uh, feel feel strongly enough. I think that uh, Georgia is going to be able to take care of business. There's not a huge edge here, but all three of our metrics do line up. Uh, officially, we've got Georgia by about seven and a half as far as talent edges go. Uh, part of this is experience, uh, and Auburn is is really lacking experience along the line of scrimmage. Georgia has a little bit of an edge there. Um, certainly, some some work to be done on the offensive line still, but a little bit little bit more experience, a little bit more productive history on the defensive line at this point. But talent edges almost ten points would be our our point spread if we take away home field engine coaching. And, and then if we're looking stats only, 
historically based, uh, based on the, the coaches, based on uh, these programs over the last five years, that model shakes out to about seven and a half for Georgia. So uh, we're on Georgia, you know, minus six and a half uh, officially. And uh, so, yeah, the button beat, beat Auburn by seven. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, six and a half is the line there, 44 and a half the over. So a very, very interesting game. The one I want to know about, Nick, is uh, two struggling Big 12 squads are playing in uh, Oklahoma going on the road against Iowa State. And uh, that is going to be a very interesting game. I, I don't know which way to lean because both these teams have looked subpar so far this season, I think I'm going to lean towards Oklahoma. They are seven and a half point favorites on the road. 62 and a half is the over, but I tell you one thing I'm taking the over in that game. Uh, that, that does not look like it's even close to what it's actually going to be. So Nick, what, what are we thinking on Oklahoma on the road against Iowa state this week? Yeah, this this is not really the matchup you wanted. Probably if you're Oklahoma coming off a, a game where, uh, you did not play up to expectations, major disappointment, and and to have to turn around and play probably, for, for my money, the best defense in the Big 12. And, and Iowa State has certainly been shaky, did not look good against Louisiana uh, in the season opener, struggled at times with TCU, uh, you know, the, the – they got sort of a garbage uh, time touchdown there at the end to put up 34, but I, I don't know that we expected TCU uh, to put up 30 or more points against Iowa State, especially starting uh, a backup quarterback and, and so many uh, unknowns at, at the uh, basically the offense in the whole. I was going to say the skill positions, but the offensive line as well. So not a not a great performance as far as the, the scoreboard goes, but Iowa State – you know, was able to correct some things, move forward. Jaquan Bailey looks incredible uh, so far. A pass rusher who missed uh, all but four games of last year uh, with injury is looking really, really strong. I think defensively, you know, statistically, they're going to be better uh, in the long run. But Oklahoma, of course, is is super explosive. Spencer Rattler, was shaky at times, made a couple of throws. Maybe that first interception wasn't his, th- uh, wasn't his fault, but made a couple of bad decisions that ended up biting uh, Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, there, there will be some growing pains. He has an unlimited ceiling. He is yeah. a Heisman contender. He's somebody, you know, not prototypically what we think is, is a first-round pick, but, you know, Kyler Murray. Was Kyler Murray. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you know, I wouldn't write that off completely either because everything we've heard coming out of fall camp was, you know, this guy's command is incredible. Uh, we've seen, you know, evidence of that at times uh, in this early season. So he's got weapons to work with. They're still trying to figure out the rotation of running back. They're still trying to figure out uh, who's going to be a go-to receiver, but they've got options at both of those spots. The offensive line should be very good. Creed Humphrey, uh, the All-American center, was banged up a little bit, but I believe he returned to this game. They need to take a step forward defensively. Uh, Iowa State needs to take a step forward offensively. They didn't have Tariq Milton last week. Brock Purdy threw one of the most god-awful interceptions oh, I've ever seen good uh, last week. So he, is, he has been – he has been rough, but I think – he will take a step forward. I think he will be able to bounce back. 
so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, which which unit takes that next step. Uh, is it going to be the Iowa State offense? Is it going to be the Oklahoma defense? Our numbers say Oklahoma defense, and, uh, you know, our numbers traditionally have been higher on the Sooners from a, a talent standpoint because they do recruit very well. They've got experience there. It doesn't certainly work out team performance-wise coming into last week uh, because they shut out an FCS opponent. Played really well uh, defensively, but uh, they were the number one team in the country as far as defensive team performance but you know based on uh what happened last week they've they've completely uh fallen you know off of off of that pace and and uh, you know i think we saw probably a little bit closer to what uh the oklahoma defense should be but now they're outside of the top 10 fell to 11th with a, a shutout on their resume that's that's a pretty big drop believe it or not so uh you know it, it's going to be a very interesting matchup the the line shook me a little bit. I did not expect when I saw it, and when we you know put it in officially for our patrons, it was seven uh, because you know I expected it to be still double digits. Uh, and, and the way our numbers shake out, at least officially, we do have ten and a half as our uh, projected final score. We expect thirty four twenty four. Probably lower scoring than most would be uh, the under, but uh, you know talent wise. Auburn or Auburn, Oklahoma should be more than a touchdown favorite. And then, then the stats model should be uh, about an eight, eight and a half point favorite. So all three of those uh, line up. And, and so we're on Oklahoma, uh, you know, by seven officially, but, but would still uh, be on it for, for seven and a half as well uh, as we record. So we're, you know, at least expecting Oklahoma to, to bounce back, but I don't know. I don't know if I trust that because that defense made me, pretty, pretty worried. And if Iowa State uh, can take a step forward, they're definitely going to give them trouble. They have in years past. Yeah, the defense looks bad, Xavier, for, for Oklahoma, obviously. But not only does Oklahoma have to win, but they have to make statement wins moving forward for the rest of this season to uh, hope for a prayer at, at uh, the playoffs. So I think every game moving forward that Oklahoma is favored in, they they have to win by more than their favorite uh, to build up enough steam to maybe possibly get back in the playoff, even though that, that dream might already be dead. So I expect them to kind of I, – I, my expectation is they win and blow the doors off of Iowa State because Iowa State has not looked good yet, and I think it's – you know, we had rust being knocked off for Oklahoma here. So your your thoughts? Well, I mean, I don't know if they have to necessarily blow the doors off of anybody to get to the playoff. I think if they run the table and win the Big 12 outright, I think they have an opportunity there to sneak in the back door, maybe in that four seed. Uh, but in this game, I like I like Iowa State. I don't like Oklahoma going into this ball game. Wow. Uh, I think that the defense that we saw in week one is the defense we're going to see in week two. I don't see that them facing the issues that they had in week one against Kansas State in week two. They struggled mightily stopping Skylar Thompson in that running game. Well, that's not a great thing because Brees Hall just went for 153 yards, excuse me, 154 yards against TCU. And, and Brock Purdy, although he didn't look great against TCU, was a game manager and, and allowed the running game to do his bidding for him. And that's what you're going to see on Saturday. You're going to see Iowa State try to hit Oklahoma on bit on a lot of run a lot of rushing attempts and try to hit those big gainers and try to wear down that uh that defense and keep the ball out of Spencer Rattler's hands. I'm really concerned about the Oklahoma defense. And, it, and it's more so not just because Oklahoma 
this year. Oklahoma hasn't had a good defense in God knows how long. And, and I think that this year they just don't have the offense to compensate for that as they typically have in the past. I think we'll see Iowa State mix it up defensively and really try to confuse Spencer Rattler on Saturday. Uh, this is an Iowa State team who's already got two games under their belt. That also gives me confidence for Iowa State that they'll that this is the game that they've been up for, that they've been ready to play, and, and they have no other reason to be up for anything else. There's no overlooking it to Texas Tech next week or anything else. This is the game that they've been focused on all week, and I think that they're going to play better than Oklahoma. I th That's where my only concern is with Iowa State is do they go away from what has been working this year? Brees Hall and company, the running game has been working for them all year. Do they try to play outside of themselves? And does Brock Purdy try a little bit too hard to make us to have a statement win in what will probably be his last year at Iowa State? So that is my only concern for Iowa State. Other than that, I really like Iowa State in this game to be able to win this game by a touchdown. Because uh, I don't – that Oklahoma defense really scares me. And typically you can't fix a defense in a week. You might be able to fix some things offensively in a week, some continuity issues that they may have had from Spencer Rattler. I don't see him throwing three picks a game. But that defense giving up what they did to Kansas State, especially on the ground, I don't see you fixing that in just one week of practice. Yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely could be right. So uh, that's going to be uh, a very, very interesting game. And that's kind of uh, uh, that, that's kind of for the soul of the Big 12 here. Yeah. I mean, that that is eventually is going to be Oklahoma versus Texas. But if Oklahoma can't uh, win this game and make that Texas versus Oklahoma game big, uh, next week, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, what's, what's the game you want to pick here, Nick? Well, I, I think the, the easy pick left on the board is, is another, you know, top 20 matchup, Alabama hosting Texas A&M. And, and, uh, certainly we, we touched on it briefly, uh, leading into, you know, away from the review portion and, and into the preview Texas A&M, struggled to put away Vanderbilt last week. And, and I'm on record. Maybe my hottest take uh, might be that I just don't see Vanderbilt winning a game this year. That's probably not a hot take, but it's maybe as hot as I get. Yeah. <laughs> Other than Kentucky, I guess. Maybe my, maybe my Kentucky view is uh, slightly controversial. But, uh, you know, Vanderbilt played okay defensively, and they've got a very – experienced defense they've they've got a, a solid defensive minded head coach uh and defensive coordinator so you know i i don't know that that maybe should be shocking kellen mon did not look great uh certainly but you know part of that there there were three drops from the receiving core part of that the receiving core has been uh hurt a lot by lost a couple of guys early to the nfl draft had a guy that they expected, Jamon Osmond, coming back for a senior year, actually ended up opting out, had a, another opt out, another injury as well. So uh, they are, you know, Texas A&M is, is in need of some playmakers, especially in the receiving core. And, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, put too much emphasis in into one game, but we did see Kellen Mond take a bit of a step back in, in a lot of ways from his sophomore season in 2018 to last year. Statistically, just, you know, did, obviously took a, a step back. If you just take this one game, it looks like, oh, well, now he's, he's you know, just completely regressing. Let's, let's not, uh, you know, let, uh, Xavier said hit the panic button. I, I would advise against that. I think it's still just a touch early. Uh, I don't believe in, you know, 
oh, they were just holding things back because Alabama's on deck. They obviously took Vanderbilt, you know, too, too uh, for granted. I don't necessarily buy into that, especially in, you know, you've been waiting this long to kick the season off. I, I think if Texas A&M uh, was able, they, they were going to try to go out and, and win 50 to nothing, and it just didn't play out that way. But if, if you look a little bit beyond the box score and, and dig into some of the advanced – metrics uh, some really smart people out there put out you know uh, post game expected win probabilities expected winning percentages and most of the numbers that i saw uh had texas a&m winning this game 80 to 85 percent of the time and it certainly you know vanderbilt had the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to to take the lead uh and, and threw an interception true freshman quarterback ken seals uh had a couple of freshman moments and, and uh, you know, that uh, helped Texas A&M survive. Uh, but if you were to play this game with the same box score a hundred times, Texas A&M still probably would win 80, 85% of the time. And most of those times would win uh, a bit better, you know, a bit by a bit wider margin than they did here. Certainly wasn't a great performance, but uh, you know, Texas A&M, I, I think uh, we, you know, like Texas, but in a certain different way survive advance get to the next week and alabama's you know on deck and, and anything could happen alabama somewhat differently the final score maybe didn't look as impressive as it could oh 38 19 against missouri you know huge they talent mismatch they did they did alabama look, looked great early uh they allowed a, a couple of late uh touchdowns Including one basically at, at the you know final buzzer, uh, and then uh, you know they they turned the game over to uh, the true freshman uh, quarterback in, in uh, you know the start of the fourth quarter as, as well. Handed it over from Bryant to Bryce Young uh, from Mac Jones. Mac Jones who looked great <laughs> by the way, uh, averaged over ten yards uh, per pass. You know he's got <laughs> Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle who are both off to just incredible starts as basically everybody expected. Najee Harris looked really, really good. Uh, the offensive line has a little bit of work still to do, but it's on paper, uh, and at least as far as our numbers go, the best in the country. So I, I think that they are offensively absolutely going to give Texas A&M everything that they can handle. Texas A&M, strong defensively, had a good defensive a game plan, a good defensive game against Vanderbilt, but, uh, you know, is maybe a little bit weaker than we would have expected as well because they've had a couple of opt-outs, a couple of guys in the secondary gone, uh, returning starter Anthony Hines at linebacker gone, opted out, uh, and then lost, you know, one player early uh, last year to the NFL draft. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. Texas A&M, uh, a lot of people were really, really high on Texas A&M in – February, March, April, things have worn off a little bit, especially coming off of last week. But this is a talented team. It, it's a team that has some experience on defense. It's a team that has uh, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the SEC, the most experienced quarterback in the SEC. They need some help on you know getting playmakers in the receiving core, but they've also got some talent. Isaiah Spiller, Aeneas Smith, 
did some exciting things. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, a guy who, who has wide receiver skills has been playing running back would be interested to see him maybe get a little bit more involved, split him out, you know, get, get both those guys on the field at the same time and, and get Smith involved in the passing game. I want to see, you know, DeMond DeMoss, who, who's a five-star true freshman wide receiver, one of the most athletically gifted players in the country. want to see him, you know, what can he do to break through? Jalen Weidemeyer has, has been dealing with some personal uh, you know, issues, unfortunately, but one of the best tight ends in the country didn't get off to a great start, but he could be a weapon, certainly. So, uh, you know, I think Texas a and takes a step forward. I, I don't think that they're going to beat Alabama. I think Alabama is rightly favored by more than two touchdowns, but our numbers see it slightly closer. Uh, officially, we've got it as, as a 16-point spread, uh, according to our numbers, talent only, 10 and a half, uh, stats only, 12. So, you know, all three numbers agree. We don't necessarily expect to, to keep going at 70 plus percent uh, through the, the duration of the season. But so far, we're at 74 percent when, when that's happened. So uh, we think Texas A&M can, can keep it, you know, relatively close, keep it within two touchdowns, cover uh, and pay, you know, take a step forward, especially offensively. But Alabama probably just, you know, too strong, too deep, too talented. Uh, especially on offense to to pull off the upset. And I don't think I told you this, but on uh, on campus this week when I was recording with uh, John and Eric Froton, Eric talked about that uh, uh, about Texas A and M's performance against Vanderbilt, and his uh, his review of that game was so scathing for the <laughs> Aggies. I mean, I told him as soon as he was done talking, I'm like, I've never liked you more than I like you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh but but um yeah oh, it he, was bad yeah was he did not have anything positive to, to say about but what happened last week doesn't necessarily of course in, uh, you know, of course yeah especially when up. it's the first sec game and look uh, xavier calm down you're gonna have a chance <laughs> to talk in just a second uh but look i'm not i'm not gonna give the aggies a pass at all i feel like alabama is gonna roll right over them but I do have an issue this season with large, um, just large spreads pretty much on any game. Cause I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know if, if Clemson's going to be able to win by 20. I definitely don't expect UAB to beat UTSA by 20. So I, I do just overall have an issue with larger lines this year, uh, specifically because it's a big year, but, uh, a, a big strange year, I should say. But Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, Texas A&M going uh, to play Alabama this week. Yeah, I'm going with the over. Uh, <laughs> you don't play. You don't beat Vanderbilt by five points and get any kind of love or <laughs> anything worth a dang going into the game <laughs> against Alabama. I'm, I'm sorry, you don't. And here's why I say, as a as an A&M fan, you hit the panic button. I would absolutely agree with you, Nick. If their schedule doesn't go as follows, they play Alabama this week. They get Florida the week after that, and then they get a team that we all saw thought was very impressive this week, and they get Mississippi State the week after that. Is it very plausible that they could be zero and four in four weeks in the next after the next three weeks? Absolutely, and they're going to be zero and two after Saturday. I, I've got Alabama winning this game somewhere in the range of forty six to twenty. This is going to be an ugly one. I think that from a Kellerman looked like he was a freshman at times on Saturday, and I don't understand why. He still has yet to understand to sit in the pocket and throw the football. He's way too quick to run at times. Alabama's going to eat that up. 
Vanderbilt's front seven was able to get to him. What do you think Bama's front seven is going to be able to do on, on Saturday? And from a defensive perspective, the one thing A&M really struggled with against Vanderbilt was zone reads. Well, guess who they have to play on Saturday? Najee Harris, who looks like he's in prime Derrick Henry form over there at, at Alabama. It's everything points to the Alabama route on Saturday. And I know I'm one to be contrary and go for the, ooh, they might upset. Absolutely not. This is going to be ugly. Uh, I, I think that the, I think, you know, we talked, you know, you talked about Mac Jones looking good on Saturday. I think that's a product of the athletes he has around him. When you have maybe the fastest kid in the country in Jalen Waddle, and, and, you know, you got amazing skill position players. They make you look great. You can overthrow a ball by five yards and Jalen Waddle might still catch it. So I think that, you know, that as well as the fact that they're on the road. And so it's, there's no home cooking here. Uh, it's it's going to be a bad one. I think Alabama is going to flex their muscles. Uh, and, and you talked about uh, Scott, Oklahoma needing to win with big wins because I think Alabama is going to have some a lot of games in their schedule that are going to be really tight. I think they have to get their big wins early on. And okay. this is going to be one of their like games that. that they win by three touchdowns plus. Uh, Alabama big, and, and it's not going to be close. I like that, and that plays to your narrative as well. So uh, what what's your second game here, Xavier? So I'm going to stay in the SEC. I'm going to go with Ole Miss at Kentucky. Uh, this is a game that I really like from an Ole Miss perspective. Uh, Kentucky struggled uh, against uh, Auburn, specifically down the field. Seth Williams had a lot of big-time grabs. Uh, you know, he only had five receptions but had 112 yards. That tells you how many big plays, 20-plus-yard plays, he was able to accumulate on Saturday. I like that from an Ole Miss perspective. Matt Corral looked, looked really good against Florida throwing down the field. They struggled in between the tackles. Uh, I think they'll. I think once again they'll struggle in between the tackles against Kentucky. But down the field, I think Ole Miss can make this a ball game against. Kentucky. You hate Kentucky too. No, I, I was gonna get to my positives. G- give me a second. <laughs> give me a second. Kentucky's really good at basketball. There's my positives. No. Oh uh, <laughs> come on. No, I, I, I like this game. From that perspective for Ole Miss, as far as Kentucky is concerned, I'm looking for Terry Wilson to, to take that next step. Ole Miss's defense is not one to, to, to bark after. It's not a good defense whatsoever. And I think this is a game that Terry Wilson can find his confidence. He can find his footing. And this is the game that I think starts the, the train rolling for Kentucky to be that second tier, maybe a team that's able to upset uh, a higher-seeded team for them later in the year. I think this is the game that gets it started. I think – Best name in college football. I couldn't believe I had not heard about this kid more in Cavassier Smoke. Cavassier Smoke? Yeah. yeah Come I mean, on. Easily one of the – if not the best name in college football, he's going to get more touches. You know, last week I thought he was very explosive, but they seemed to tame his touches in the second half of the game uh, once they became down and had to really pass the football. I think he'll get the ball more and he'll be able to show his ability on the ground. I like Kentucky to win this game over Ole Miss. It's going to be a fun one, and – What's the over-under on this one, uh, Scott? 61 and a half. I'll go with the under. I, I was going to go with the over if it was less, but I'll go with the under. But I do think this is going to be an exciting game. I think it'll be a close game going into halftime where, where I see Kentucky pulling away in the second half with a running game featuring Terry Wilson and Cavassier Smoke. Uh, but, yeah, I think this is the train. This is the game that gets the train rolling for the Wildcats. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you are going with the Wildcats. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Uh, glad, glad we brought that back to, uh, to the, but, but this is the interesting one here and I know why you picked this game now, uh, Nick, Kentucky six and a half point favorites here. Uh, 61 and a half is the over what say you on this, uh, Ole Miss going to Kentucky game. 
Well, first and foremost, last week when Cavassier Smoke uh, had a, a long touchdown run, didn't he break a tackle, uh, a tackle attempt from uh, Smoke Monday? Uh, really? Auburn? I, I ah. believe that's the case. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's this. This is a really interesting game. I'm, I'm glad you uh, picked this one because uh, you know I, I, I mentioned when all three of our projection models line up and, and they do on this one, but it, it almost happened where, uh, we had, uh, I, I guess I should explain. So, so two of the three have Kentucky to win, but one actually has Ole Miss to win outright. That's the talent model that, that probably should not surprise anybody. Kentucky is, is not, you know, our, our talent only model does not love Kentucky, especially in, uh, an SEC schedule that, again, I wrote about last week. One of the reasons our numbers don't like Kentucky very much, partly, is because they're going from Lynn Bowden, who we had penciled in as the quarterback. He, he, you know, was a very different quarterback than most. But him being a maximum 100 rated player, according to our model, at the quarterback position, which counts for almost 15 percent of a team's roster strength rating, which is a big portion of their overall team strength power rating. To Terry Wilson, who's decent, but an 83 rating, that's a big drop-off. Only five teams had a bigger drop-off uh, in college football last year, replacing a quarterback. So that's one of it. Two is strength of schedule. Last year, Kentucky had the easiest schedule in the SEC. This year, they have, uh, I believe our numbers have it, the, uh, as far as average uh, strength, team strength rating, the fourth toughest in the country, uh, fourth toughest in the SEC, but still fourth t- toughest in the country. So those are the two main reasons why we're lower on Kentucky. And, uh, you know, getting back to the, the this game in particular, Ole Miss has is, is got a slight talent edge. Matt Corral is a higher rated quarterback. Jerrion Ely at running back, even though, you know, Kiyabase, uh Smoke and, and A.J. Rose, who's the starter, uh, very talented players. But Jerry and Ely, higher rated at the running back position. They've got higher rated receivers, including Elijah Moore. Yeah, Josh Ali had a great game last week for Kentucky. I don't necessarily buy that he's going to be able to do that week in and week out. Ole Miss, I saw some really good things. Uh, you know, last year it was only Elijah Moore. This year, Ontario Drummond's already got a couple of touchdowns. Uh, we've seen the tight end, Kenny Iboa. Iboa uh, had a, a, a nice touchdown uh, and, uh, you know, a couple of nice grabs. So they've got depth there as well. Kentucky certainly has arguably the best offensive line in, in the SEC. We, we think Alabama, number one, uh, according to our numbers in the country. But Kentucky, when you look at the film, just as good, maybe a little bit better technically. But, you know, uh, offensively, Ole Miss has the stronger offense for sure. Defensively, you know, flip the script for the most part. Ole Miss struggled mightily with Florida last week. They've got some talented linebackers, but they are inexperienced up front, uh, you know, and and in the secondary a little bit shaky as well. I mean, I you know, gave up however many yards and six touchdowns to Kyle Trask last week. Uh, Kyle Pitts just completely gashed them. Uh, so Ole Miss certainly has has some work to do defensively, but I, I'm not shocked that our numbers have this pretty close. Ole Miss is going to be tough. Kentucky is going to be tough. But, I, you know, I think both of these teams, maybe if Kentucky's a little bit 
you know, not quite as good as, as maybe some people thought coming in. If Ole Miss might be a, a touch better uh, than some people thought coming in, especially offensively. We've seen that, you know, the Lane Kiffin influence is already uh, seemingly paying off. Matt Corral looked really, really good uh, last week. Interested to see what they do with John Rice Plumley moving forward. Is he going to play a little bit more receiver like we saw last week? That, that'll, that'll be fun to see. But, you know, not a shock. Our numbers see it relatively close. Uh, see a, basically a, a field goal difference. Kentucky still to win. Uh, but, uh, you know, otherwise, this is a very, very even matchup. Our final score projection is, is 31-28. Uh, Kentucky getting the win, but but Ole Miss covering and and uh, you know tight ball game we expect. Uh, the the last game I want to pick here is Middle Tennessee hosting Western Kentucky. I just want to know why why is Middle Tennessee favored in this game? They're favored by a point and a half. What? Yeah, Middle Tennessee is favored right now. Maybe that's the way the betting has gone. They're favored by a point and a half yeah. over Western Kentucky. The over it was seven. It's it, said seven. Yeah. <laughs> it was, hold on. It was Western Kentucky at noon today was favored by now, seven. Now look, um, okay, <laughs> hold on. I think, so I think the website that we use. Oh, oh is, okay. You're looking is, at the open. I think that's, I think that's, that's the mistake. open. You're right. You're right. And I, I think that's a mistake. Okay. Okay. The open's so, a little wonky this week. Sorry. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. okay, you're right. I should have mentioned that before we started. <laughs> that, that's my bad. But, okay, no. but this open with Middle Tennessee as the favorite, which means Vegas had them picked as a favorite, even though they've looked miserable. The line has flipped. I've never seen a line flip this fast, by the way. E- even if this opened on Sunday at a point and a half, it has, go- like, what changed for uh, Middle Tennessee State? Because Astro O'Hare is still playing. Uh, they still have the same coach, uh, but everyone bet Western Kentucky because that seems so absurd, and the line fell. So I don't know what's happening with this open, by the way, because the line fell uh, from 72 to 54, and now Western Kentucky's favored by seven. I don't know how it could have opened at that. Maybe that's got to be a different game. It's got to be something wrong. So I think it's a, I think it's a, 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 what's the word? I think it's a typo on their on their part. I, I just the for folks out there listening, we we use the Vegas Insider uh, consensus line. When I say official line, that's that's what we're comparing it to. And usually, uh, the number that I, that I'll reference is that official number. It happens around noon Eastern on uh, Wednesdays when our our post goes out to our patrons. But uh, I think the the Vegas Insider site had some wonky opens. I just looked up Circus Sports uh, in Las Vegas. They're usually the first ones on Sunday afternoon that, that post lines officially. And they had uh, Western Kentucky as an eight-point favorite. Okay. All so, right. so, yeah, it's it's a little wonky. There are a couple of other ones listed there as, as the open on the, the VI uh website it's it's just sometimes things are a little weird there it must be a game off or something yeah it's that's the line i looked at and i didn't even see that that was the open i thought that was a consensus line and i was like what the hell is going on here so uh do we expect western kentucky to win by a touchdown uh not not a full touchdown uh we've we've got it at six so a little bit of value on middle tennessee i mean not a ton uh, we, we've got it at six officially. We've got it at three and a half uh, from talent only. The stats model is seven and a half. 
so they don't all agree on it, but right around there. But, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee looked like arguably the worst team in the country through their first two games. Uh, they, they were very, very bad. They did not look, you know, they, they took a step forward against UTSA. Obviously, O'Hara is not exactly the player that he was in, in 2019, still making mistakes. Uh, they've got some offensive line issues. The defense has some good players, a couple of highly rated players, according to our numbers, but as a unit, just, you know, struggles. Can, struggles have continued uh, from last year to this year. So uh, it seems like maybe things are moving in the right direction. Maybe they're going to be able to build a little bit of momentum off of last week. This is a rivalry game, and so that's, you know, consider that. It's a, it's a home game for Middle Tennessee. Maybe there's, you know, not a lot of fans, of course, in the stands, but – uh, you know, perhaps that'll add a little bit to it. So I, I could see a scenario where Middle Tennessee wins this game. Absolutely. I can uh, see Kentucky that too. Has they just have not looked good. They yeah. haven't, but Western Kentucky hasn't looked very good either. They and, lost to Liberty and, and, you know, that's a bad loss. They lost to yeah. Louisville week one. You can give them a pass on that. Sure. But losing to Liberty, there's, there's no excuse there. Yeah, uh, we expected this to be one of the best G5 defenses in the country. It's certainly one of the most experienced coming off of last year. They were excellent. Tyrell Pigram, probably an upgrade overall at, at the quarterback position. He certainly brings a, a different element as a threat to run. Uh, but they haven't been able to get going, you know, with, with Gage Walker, the running back, and, and they've had a lot of turnover at receiver, one, you know, who was expected to be their leading receiver this year entered the transfer portal after the, you know, week two. So it, it's weird. It, and and this is an interesting game, and, and I do think uh, that it could go any variety of ways. I think Western Kentucky is rightly favored. I, the number seems about right, but – if I were to, to lean one way or the other, it probably would be Middle Tennessee, and, and our numbers see about a, a point, point and a half difference uh, between the spread and, and our projection. We've got it uh, at, at uh, 31-24, uh, Western get, getting the win, but uh, Middle Tennessee, you know, keeping it close. And it'll be interesting to see. This seems like, you know, I've talked before about how Rick Soxill gives me the sort of George O'Leary, June Jones vibe where yeah. things just – completely fall off a cliff uh, and that could happen. And, and last week they took a step toward letting that not happen. They, they, you know, had a chance two point conversion to tie the game at the end, maybe find a way to win. It didn't work out. Are you going to build on that momentum or are you going to say, Oh, that was our chance to win. And now it's, a, you know, it, 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 they could win this game. They could play it close again, obviously. Uh, or, they could get just completely blown out and the season just falls completely to the wayside. So I, I do have some interest in this game, you know, for those reasons, not a huge edge in our numbers, but it's this, this game, we will learn a lot probably about both teams, but about middle Tennessee, I think most. Which three of those scenarios do you see playing out for middle Tennessee in this game, Xavier? Give me middle Tennessee for the win. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be the contrarian here. You I, like that point and a half, then? That, I that's do. The, that's your line. Are you working for this Vegas Insider site? <laughs> I wouldn't be living in my parents' house if I was. But <laughs> uh, um, I like Middle Tennessee State here. I think that they found their offense last week. Yes, it was against UTSA, but they were still 35 points. It's the most that they've been able to put up all season. Uh, as we talked, Western Kentucky has yet to find their footing in either game that they played. Um, up against Louisville and against Liberty. Uh, I think that this is a game that Nick said, I think that they carry the confidence of the offense that they were able to put up points against a UTSA team that is 3-0 at the moment, by the way. 
uh, and, and the come down to a two-point conversion for the tie. I, I think that they carry that confidence into week two. I, oh, excuse me, before I think Ash O'Hara uh, continues to to get better and get back to his 2019 self. Yes, last week he did throw two interceptions, but that's along with three touchdowns. It's along with almost 400 yards passing. Uh, that's above 50 percent, above 60 percent. Excuse me, I think passing as well. So I think that we, we we're looking at a Middle Tennessee State team that maybe found a little bit of footing offensively. I think the defense. Uh, against a Western Kentucky team that isn't explosive offensively, can get away with some things this week. And I see Middle Tennessee walking away with their first win. Honestly, this is it. I, I don't know as far as how hot uh, Stocksville's uh, seat is up there at Middle Tennessee State. If they lose to Western Kentucky this week, it's got to be on fire. Uh, yeah. So I think his job, at, at least, that he he's going to be fighting for his job in this game. And if the kids love him as much as it seems like, they're going to want to play for their coach this week, which might be added uh, an added bonus as well. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game, that's for sure. So, but I'm glad glad we got that straightened out on the line too, because I was looking at this going, how is Middle Tennessee favored when they look so miserable? Yeah. The, yeah, the the first two weeks of of this season for them. So, uh, but uh, Nick, why don't you tell us about um, some of these all three that agree here? Yeah, so uh, there are. Uh, more than I necessarily feel comfortable with. We've got 13 <laughs> games uh, where they all agree. I, I would like to not, you know, put our uh, strong start to the season necessarily in jeopardy uh, by having so many, but you know, this is not opinion based. I mean, we, we, as we talk uh, throughout the, the show, of course, we all three share our opinions, but when I'm saying what the numbers uh, spit out, basically, there's no opinion in there. The only opinion is how we weight certain things, but uh, we just sort of publish what, what the numbers say. And, and this week, 13 of them uh, lined up where our three different projection models uh, came on the, the same side. First of all, Friday night, uh, we've got uh, Louisiana Tech at BYU. The, the line is, is up to 23 and a half. Last I checked, BYU ranks number one overall in team performance. They've been absolutely incredible through two games. Louisiana Tech, not necessarily probably a tougher opponent than Navy or Troy on paper, but 23 and a half is, is according to our numbers, just too much. So, so we're on Louisiana Tech. think that they can keep it to within two touchdowns in, in around that range. So uh, we'll find out, is BYU one of the best teams in the country? Uh, if they, you know, beat Louisiana Tech 50 to nothing, uh, like they had the first couple of, of weeks, basically, uh, maybe they are. But but we think that BYU will, will take a, a little bit step back, maybe regress back to the mean and, and be a very, very good team, one of the best G5 teams, but probably not an elite, you know, top 15, top 20 type team. But uh, going a little quicker down the list, it, it's very close. Uh, but our, our numbers like Texas, uh, you know, they always struggle with TCU, it seems. Struggled last week to put Texas Tech away. But we think that the, the line should be a little bit closer to two touchdowns. So we're on Texas I don't like minus Texas. 11 and a half. <laughs> I understand. I don't love all of these. And I, yeah, and I yeah. wrote no, that no, no, on no. the, I, I, I wrote that uh, to our patrons as well. And I, <laughs> I always miss, I always mention that a little bit. It's like, Hey, I'm just giving you what it says. I'm not, right, I don't right, love right. it necessarily all the time. Some of them might do. I mean, yeah, I think Louisiana Tech should be able to keep it within four, you know, within three touchdowns of, of uh, 
BYU. That yeah, should BYU happen. BYU looked pretty strong, though. So I do like that one. It might not, you know, we don't always win the ones we like, but right. uh, but you know, Texas less confidence, less confidence there. One I do like NC State plus fourteen against Pitt. Pitt has been great defensively, but uh, you know, struggles a little bit offensively. And NC State has looked good at times. Last week took a big step back after the opener against Western, or excuse me, Wake Forest, but. Uh, 14 seems too much. East Carolina, plus one. Our numbers say East Carolina should be favored over Georgia State. I'm sorry, Xavier. This is two weeks in a row that uh, we've had uh, uh, Georgia State favored. And you know what? They didn't win last week. So uh, <laughs> that State. game is tight, too. I think it's Georgia State by one. Yeah, it is the line. So, uh, you know, that, that, that game might as well be a pick uh, between <laughs> – uh, Georgia State and NECU. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, we've we've got Eastern or East Carolina uh, favored in all three of our our numbers there, so think that they should win uh, outright. UTSA, you mentioned it briefly earlier. Twenty and a half is a lot against UAB. UAB is good defensively. Pass rush is good. Liked what I saw out of backup quarterback Lucero. Like what I've seen from Spencer Brown. UTSA probably not. You know your typical three and zero. Yeah, they're three and zero, but they're not. They're still 110th or something in our overall power rankings. But 20 and a half seems like too much. Our numbers agree. We think it should be closer to two touchdowns. So uh, we're on that one. We mentioned Texas A&M. Uh, we're also uh, Boston College 14 in, in North Carolina. That's one I don't feel great about. Boston College has been fine. They're two and zero. North Carolina hasn't played in three weeks, so that yeah. adds a little bit of a, a an unknown there. But if it were, you know, my opinion, I wouldn't feel super confident in, in BC plus 14, but our numbers uh, are, are relatively high on BC this year. And we're just at the tiniest, tiniest bit lower on North Carolina than some. They're on the fringe of our top 25 with all 130 teams. A lot of other folks have them in their, you know, top 15, somewhere in that range. That seems a little high. So we're on BC plus 14, not super confident, but we're on that one. Here's one, not confident at all. But we're on USF plus 22 against Cincinnati. Not confident at all. But, hey, we've won some we're not confident in already. But take that for what it's worth. Here's one that's interesting. Air Force plus six and a half. Air Force has been preparing for Navy for a month, you know, however long since the the Mountain West uh, canceled its season. And, and, uh, you know, now it's coming back. But this game's been on the schedule the whole time. Navy has been shaky. You know, it's a little bit weird. Air Force, our projected depth chart, we had Air Force returning four starters from last year's defense. Not a ton, obviously, but all of those starters are gone. The Air Force uh, released a a depth chart that didn't include any of those guys, plus a couple others that we expected to start. Apparently, uh, you know, at, at the Air Force Academy, you can defer a semester, take a semester off. And half the starting defense decided to do that. So that makes me nervous, but we've accounted for that. We still think Air Force should win. One I don't like at all. We are on the over in this game for uh, Air Force and Navy. Usually one of the best value bets out there is to just blind bet the under when it's two service academies. So don't love that, but we're on the over. Uh, ULM, also don't love this, plus 20. They've been terrible. Got blown out by UTEP last week, uh, but we're on U- ULM plus 20. It's those big lines. Yeah, yeah. it is. And, and that's our, our numbers, it's difficult for a big favorite to cover 
it, it just is. And, and right. according to our numbers, maybe that's something we've got to work. We've made some progress the last couple of years on that, believe it or not. But, you know, Georgia Southern doesn't necessarily run it up uh, on folks. And, and they, they are a strong team, gave uh, Louisiana a game until the final seconds uh, last week. Two-point conversion looked like a winning two-point conversion late in the fourth quarter, but then allowed a, a long field goal to, to end up losing that game. But, you know, ULM, not good. Their best defensive player out for the year. Uh, and, uh, you know, still 20 seems like too many. Uh, Southern Miss, we think, should be favored against North Texas. Yeah, Southern Miss has been one of the worst underperformers in college football this year. If you look at their uh, expected, you know, the, the point spreads in, in all three of their games, their performance compared to that, they're in the top two or three worst in the country so far this year. But our, our numbers are still hanging on, just barely think that they should beat North Texas. Who North Texas, good on offense, but, but not great overall. But, but these are two teams that can score and can't stop anybody. So it should be, should be a track meet. Mississippi State, uh, will there be a hangover effect uh, after beating LSU? Our numbers think Arkansas can keep it within 18. Arkansas fell apart in the second half after a, a solid first half last week. Xavier can't believe it. But uh, hey, why not? Arkansas hang with with Mississippi State a little bit. They're mm-hmm. not good. They were good. They were very good uh, last week. But even at you know Washington State, Mike Leach teams, they can then can look like world beaters one week and and just look horrible the next. Four and but, a half. Yeah. In reference <laughs> to UCLA Washington State game last year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean they they got blown out a couple of years ago by Cal like yeah, that's true. completely unexpectedly and and so every once in a while it happens. We don't expect them we don't expect Arkansas to win, but we think 18 is is again too many points. We mentioned Oklahoma just barely, but they all line up with Oklahoma minus 7 and then another one that's just barely barely too many points and and I don't care for this one, but we think Clemson should beat Virginia by uh, 25.86 points. So 28 is too many. <laughs> and uh, so uh, we are contractually obligated to say that all three line up because the talent model is 19, uh, the stats model is 26 and a half. So unfortunately, uh, unless they, you know, keep it within 28 <laughs> I felt somewhat similarly, honestly, last week with K-State in, in Oklahoma. So maybe this will be that game for, for this week. But uh, we're on Virginia plus 28. 13 of them. So hopefully they work out. They've been really, really good so far this year. Uh, I don't necessarily expect us to keep it at 70%, but hopefully we can hold on at least one more week before regression really kicks in and, and get through this 13-week uh, stretch. And then hopefully next week it comes back down to – seven or six or five. Uh, any other games out here that you're looking forward to just real quick before we wrap up here uh, for this week? I'm just disgusted by some of the things Nick said. I, I, <laughs> Arkansas is supposed to hold. Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's the model. That's not Nick saying it. Be, be, it's the be, model thing. Before we go, I have to. I, 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 like I do it. I, I do it. I do it. It wasn't just, yeah. I I bet, honestly, personally, I bet it. <laughs> I have to mention Memphis at SMU. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. A, a heck of a game offensively. I think that this will be a shootout. Uh, this is going to be a fun game. If you're looking for a game to watch in the 3.30 time slot, uh, this is a game for you to watch. SMU offensively has been clicking uh, for the most part all year. Uh, Memphis is one of the, if not the best, one of the best uh, 
G5 schools in the country. And, and I think that, you know, it's going to be a shootout like it was last year. I think Memphis pulls away late. Uh, but this is going to be a really, really good game with two really good quarterbacks in Brady White and uh, Shane Bouchelle. Uh, this is one of those games to carry over to the night games if you need one. So keep your eye out for that one. Um, other than that, I do want to see how Texas Tech and Kansas State play out. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's going to be a fun uh, one yeah. too. I want to see if Texas Tech can – if they gave everything they had in that Texas game and do they really it is a lull going against Kansas State because they are the more talented team according to our numbers in everything but quarterback and in the defensive line so they're the more talented team but does that necessarily mean anything after you were this close to upsetting yeah. Texas Te uh, and for Kansas State do they have a lull after beating Oklahoma and is this just the high we see from this year um, you know and can they continue the role that they've been on because Kansas State at this point if I'm not mistaken is two and one uh, so can they continue to play uh, – I'm sorry, one and one So can they continue their winning ways? And, and can they – you know, and they're at home, so obviously it helps from that point of view. But can Skylar Thompson continue to do what he has done through the, through the air uh, so far this year and, and uh, continue this going in the next week? So those are the two games I'm really looking forward to that we didn't talk about. I, I'm glad you brought it up. And, and I will – I know we got to get out of here, but those, those are two particularly interesting ones that I will be watching because our different models treat – treat both of those games the same but different models see completely different outcomes and it's, it's kind of interesting I, so there are things I, I do track okay what's the talent edge uh, against the spread each week what's the stats only model against the, the spread each week uh, of course I'm most interested when they all agree but talent edges this year are 31 27 and two against the spread that's fine we're, we're happy with that the stats only model is 38, 20, and two. So, you know, that that's over 60% easy. And, yeah. and so uh, <laughs> that's been really, really good. So Memphis is favored by two and a half and Kansas State favored by two and a half, right? So the stats only model has Memphis by almost a touchdown. So if, if what we've done holds, that's the better model, maybe through four weeks, a, a quick four weeks, uh, but uh, talent edge, SMU is the more talented team by four points. So that's a 10-point difference and sees it completely differently. It's almost exactly the same for K-State and Texas Tech. Stats-only model, K-State favored by almost five, but talent edge, Texas Tech by five. So mm, a 10-point wow. difference there. So I don't know what to think about either of those. Uh, I, I think that maybe the stats only model is performing a little too well right now. So I might actually lean toward uh, the, un, you know, the, the quote unquote more talented underdog in both. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm interested to see. And there, there are other matchups that, you know, numbers fall similarly throughout the course of the year. I want to see how those in particular play out the most talented team versus how a team performs on the field, which is most important. This year, I would think talent maybe, but so far, stats only model has been the better model. So we'll see. Going to be a fun week five, and, and hopefully it gets weirder and weirder as the uh, the the year rolls on. Here we want something crazy. We want something different uh, for twenty twenty one because twenty uh, for twenty twenty because twenty twenty is so different right now. So remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me at CFB Winning Edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. You can support this podcast on Patreon. 
Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge and pledge as little as $5 per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week.